Welcome to the Emerging Minds podcast. This episode is one of a four-part series that sits alongside the Emerging Minds e-learning course, a GP framework for child mental health assessment, five to 12 years. The course looks at engagement skills, formulation, phases of a child mental health assessment, and the ongoing management of a child with mental health difficulties. Today's episode features GP and Emeritus Professor Jeff Mitchell. Jeff has extensive general practice experience in the Ipswich area of Queensland and a strong research interest in the role of general practitioners in complex conditions. He joins the podcast series today to discuss the experience that some GPs have of feeling like an imposter working in the child mental health space, as well as what are key transferable skills that can be brought into this work. Hi, Jeff. Welcome and thank you for joining me on the Emerging Minds podcast. My pleasure to be here. Thanks for asking. We're here today to talk about the transferable skills that GPs have that they can bring to their work supporting children's mental health. Before getting into that, though, I wanted to touch on the idea of imposter syndrome and ask you why it is that GPs can have this sense of being an imposter when working in the child mental health space. Child mental health is quite challenging. Generally, when people come, they come with uh, their parents and there's some very significant issue at home or at school that is causing distress. And they've tried the things that they normally try, uh, talking to their friends, their neighbours, the teachers. They've They've done all of that. And so they're coming to you to escalate the care that they need. And the health system as it stands uh, is not well resourced for mental health and in particular child mental health. So the time delay for getting to uh, specialists is can be quite substantial. But the person who's talking to you is desperate now and they can't wait another 12 or 18 months or whatever the time frame is in order to get the help that they need they need it now and so basically you're it Uh, and because we don't have a lot of training in uh, mental health then we have to do our best with the skills that we've got and you can feel a bit of an imposter kind of quote expert unquote hat on Mm. um, where in fact you're hopefully relying on good common sense. Mm. What is the role of a GP in a child mental health assessment? Well, we've got to try and alleviate the problem that the patient has. And so that means we need to understand the environment uh, that the patient lives in and the the school as much as possible. We're in a good position to do that. If we have got a relationship with the family, we will have seen them over a period of time and get a good sense of uh, the interpersonal dynamics that are at play, the, the socioeconomic situation that the child is placed in. And over time, things get revealed that can be very, very relevant indeed. Mm -hmm. So we have good background. We also should know the uh, facilities and resources that are available in our community and therefore should be able to direct the child and the parent to the resources that are going to be of greatest help. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about the role and where it sits in amongst the health system more broadly? And could you maybe talk a little bit more about the role in the sense of where a family's at when they come to see a GP about a children's mental health problem? 
Okay, so the GP is the, um, the gatekeeper of the health system and there are a number of mechanisms that allow for referral to specialists. That includes some Medicare-supported allied health and mental health professionals. They have to see a GP and get a mental health plan uh, done by the GP in order to access Medicare support. Depending on the state that you're in, you require a GP referral to go to a specialist clinic to a public hospital. And again, it depends where you are as to which of those two systems are the predominant system. Where I work, public uh, is very heavily used, uh, where I'm in a low socioeconomic area, and we have a low private health insurance base. And so, you know, everything relies on the public system for many people. And, and because of the burden, they are very much undermanned mm. relative to the need. And uh, so, so much falls back on us to try to assist people uh, in, in desperate need. The other thing, of course, is that, that in a lower socioeconomic area, it is quite likely that you've got intergenerational maladaption. And so you can actually be a, a kind of role model for people uh, just by showing them how you can relate to the children that you're dealing with when you're relating to them in the practice. So you kind of walk the journey with them. You've got to be ready for a long, slow haul. You might need to see them on a very regular basis to get a better sense of the effectiveness of some of the things you're trying. You might try to change or influence one small aspect of a big problem at one time and try to get that right and then move on to the next aspect of the problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so in that context that you're describing of being in an area where there is more socioeconomic disadvantage and um, people are relying on the mental health system and in amongst that, you know, this sense of feeling like a bit of an imposter working in this space, what do you actually do when a family comes in and they seem very distressed and, you know, they're, they're hoping that you're going to be able to, you know, solve that problem or help that child? What is going on for you in that? consult when you first meet a family? Well, first thing you say to yourself is don't panic. Um, You listen a lot. You try to get as uh, thorough a picture as possible of the situation and the behaviours that are causing trouble, whether it's in home situation or school or both or other situations. Uh, You try to identify stresses that might uh, be leading to a problem, including recent changes in behaviour versus long-term problems which uh, are more likely to be inherent in the, in the dynamics of the family. Something new might have happened. You have to t- try and work out whether there's a psychiatric illness there as well. You have to work out the urgency of the problem. Uh, is this a mental health emergency like suicidal behaviour? suicidal ideation and how severe is it and do they have other medical problems so hearing needs to be thought of uh, vision diet are they actually eating appropriately were they going to school hungry once you work those things out then you try to channel the parent and the child into the appropriate extra support that they may need uh, sometimes it's reasonably straightforward and you can work on them with with basic things that maybe they haven't thought of. Other times it's quite clear that you need professional specialist help and, and you have to try then to organise that as um, expeditiously as possible. And 
in situations where there are wait lists or there's some time before that family can perhaps see a specialist in the public mental health system, how do you see your role or the GP role in supporting the family during that time? Well, it's critical because it's you or no one. And just regular review, regular contact with the family, having them feel like there's someone in their corner Mm-hmm. And that you're going to kind of walk the journey with them is a very, very important role of our profession. How do you convey that, that you're, you know, you're in their corner? If you're with a family and in the moment, what is it you're doing? You talked about regulars. So it's about being like quite conscientious about booking in the regular appointments and making sure you, you continue to see them. I know some clinics don't operate on an appointment basis, but we do. I think it's really important that that happens. And Look, you show respect. Often people like this have very poor self-esteem because things are going wrong. You know, their parents, they should know what to do. You get judged by looks around you, uh, by other people saying that you're not doing a good job. The teachers are on to you. You know, there's pressure to do something on the parent and yet if they haven't solved it for themselves, it means that they don't have the ability to solve it for themselves. So they come to you for help. They come to you for reassurance, reassurance that they're not poor people, bad people, that they're not stupid. There's things like that 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 you have to deal with on a regular basis. And just by showing respect, by mirroring uh, good interaction with the kids, showing them that it can be done, Mm -hmm. very often you can settle a child who's having issues down quite simply with really simple techniques of communication. Okay. Having a bit of fun, all sorts of things you can do that, that allow you to uh, create that rapport with the family and, and give the, the mother in, in particular a sense that, that they are being listened to and they are respected. Mm. Yeah, okay. The next question is perhaps going back again to this idea of imposter syndrome. I wanted to ask you, why do you think it is that GPs can lack confidence in this area? Oh, we don't have a lot of training in it. It takes time to develop good outcomes and often you're looking at multifactorial problems and unless you manage all of the problems then uh, it's going to be difficult to see the overall problem over through to a resolution Mm -hmm. so you know if you've got 15 minutes or 10 minutes to try to do that uh, it's impossible and you kind of shake your head mentally and say well you know what do they expect me to do look at this this is really difficult and yet you're it. So kind of do feel like you're thrust into a situation not of your own making and not where you want to be. But there it is. There you are. It's a bit like being in you know, the hero in a movie that's sort of stumbled into a disaster zone and uh, <laughs> has to be the, the one that sort of saves the world. <laughs> it sounds a bit uh, egotistic. It's, you know, in that little world, their little world, you know, you're mm. it. And it is a bit like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're asking people in crises, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. Unless you've got a massive ego, then it, you're really challenged by that. You're really um, feeling like you're inadequate, not up to the task. Mm. So now I'll switch to the topic of transferable skills and ask you, you know, what are some of the skills that GPs already have and already put into practice that they can use in this work with children and children's mental health? Well, a lot of what we do is relational. And so from two perspectives, I think that's very important. The first is that 
having empathy and being able to speak to the level of the, the person coming to you is, is really important. And being empathetic and not judgmental. Now, they, they're skills that are universal and are incredibly important. Mm. Communication skills and the ability to uh, mirror them or, or model them mm-hmm. with kids. Um, not everyone has that, but uh, if you do have it, it's a very useful thing to have and it can transform the situation from chaos. If you've got a mother who's got one problem of child and they bring the, the whole family in because there's no one else to look after the others, then you're looking at a very chaotic situation and um, so managing that in order to get to the, the bottom of it. What do you think are the important communication skills in working with children uh, and in that particular environment where a family is perhaps under a lot of stress? Look, I think the first thing is to acknowledge the child and make sure that that they're included in the consultation. So, for example, if they interrupt um, and you try to get information or talk to the parent about something, then you can either say, just a minute, let me just finish talking to mum, then I'll talk to you and make darn sure you do, mm-hmm. uh, or you stop, you settle a child down, then you get back so that the child's got some sort of uh, activity or, or um something that they're focusing on, it allows you then to speak to the parent uninterrupted. Yeah. Paediatrics is a very skilled uh, and special branch of medicine, but it's still medicine. It is still a discipline where you have to take a history and and do physical examinations and use your clinical reasoning skills in order to come up with appropriate sort of working hypotheses. And so they're transferable right across the board. I think Life experience is very important. So if you have had kids yourself, you you can kind of draw on what worked and what doesn't when you're dealing with a person in front of you. Now, paediatric or child psychiatry is is an area where the unit of care is the child and the family. And it's very important to not neglect the family and try to get a good sense of what's going on there and be able to work with the adults in order to influence the child. And I think that might be underplayed by people. Mm -hmm. Are there any other transferable skills that come to mind for you? You can learn counselling skills. If you've done mental health training, which most GPs who've been through the GP training program have done the least basic training, they're usually based on adult uh, interactions, but you can transfer Mm -hmm. things like very basic cognitive behavioural therapy Mm-hmm. And you can shift from one area of medicine and apply them to some degree to others. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And the last question, what, in your view, can GPs do to start building their confidence with this work? Commit to the patient and see them regularly and avoid the temptation to say it's too hard and refer on. Absolutely refer on, but you know it's going to take time, so why don't do do some work while you while you're doing it mm-hmm. there's plenty of resources available and if you're in a, an area of low socioeconomic need this is a very high prevalence problem and so it is worth putting the effort in to um, get the resources use them learn mm-hmm. about new techniques that uh, are available and um, so that you can be of more use while the specialists uh, come online are there 
any particular resources that you know of that can be helpful for GPs in the child mental health space? In our area, we have a very active paediatric behavioural paediatrician and, and the PHNs uh, uses him on a regular basis to provide resources and seminars and the like. Okay. Uh, in Queensland, Project ECHO is, is a project where specialists have regular meetings with GPs who are caring for a particular problem um, and they can present cases and get specialist input into the management of those cases. There are a lot of websites specifically for mental health. Mm-hmm. Probably more adult, potentially some adolescent health would be more dealt with rather than kids, but they're out there. And also, of course, specialist letters, uh, letters back from psychologists and uh, child mental health workers so that you can see what's done in other cases that you've been relating with and and you can apply those kinds of skills to other similar cases. So you're saying you can sort of use them as a source of learning and growing your knowledge in the area? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Is there anything else that you thought of around helping GPs to build their confidence? Look, I I think you need to be prepared to fail in order to learn. That means you kind of have a a boundary around your knowledge and um, it's not fixed, it's expanding. And so when you get to a a case that's not quite in your comfort zone, you have the choice of referring that on straight away or attempting to deal with it and refer, work it up as much as you can. And by doing that and maybe pushing the boundaries of your knowledge and, and the taking I'll say taking small risks in how you manage people you'll work out what works and what doesn't Mm -hmm. Uh, you always have to have a safety net you always have to be sensible about this but uh, I think one of the problems that we have in medicine is is a a mindset that says if I'm not fully trained I'm not competent full stop Mm. but that really is the imposter syndrome Um, Uh you're a lot smarter than you think and you've got a lot more skills than you think. You just have to commit to using them all as much as possible and to expand them by being logical and sensible in your approach to patients. Yeah, thank you. I think that's a really great point to end it on. So thank you very much for your time today, Jeff. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Visit our website at www.emergingminds.com.au to access a range of resources to assist your practice. Brought to you by the National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health, led by Emerging Minds. The National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health is funded by the Australian Government Department of Health under the National Support for Child and Youth Mental Health Programme.